Big Easier podcast by The Unmistakables. Welcome to the diversity conversation that everyone can learn from. We interview guests from the world of business, culture and arts about the work they're doing to make the world a more inclusive place. I'm Asad. And I'm Ben. And in this episode, we're asking, can creativity be disabled? Our guest today is Solomon Khan, founder and chief purpose officer at This Ability, working to bridge the practical gap between disabled creativity and financially blessed clients to change the culture to make equity the default by destabilizing the accepted narratives of creativity and disability. So we've been following Solomon for quite some time now, not literally, but online and in the work that he's doing. And I'm really excited to hear about his experiences because I had a chat with him a couple of months ago and I was really touched by the honesty that he brings to any conversation and the fact that he describes himself uh, as a disabled AF but apparently you don't say AF anymore you say AF I heard this from Simone Um, but he's disabled AF creative active intersectional accomplice in progress and socially conscious entrepreneur Uh, he's a South Asian man and he's a continual work in progress and anyone who calls himself a work in progress is well worth having a chat with Um, so we're going to go in and, and have a chat um, with him. So should we should we do this, Ben? Should we have another chat with someone? Yeah, definitely. I think it's time. You know, we have been speaking for some time about how there's work to do when it comes to inclusion for disability. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about what he's like and finding out about his life. Great. Making diversity everyone's business. So, Suleiman, before we get into it, I'm going to ask you... Um, to say the first thing that comes into your mind when I say a word. Uh, It's a simple word association game. It's all about testing where people's minds are at. So the first word is diversity. Uh, Not really helpful. Uh, What? I need to ask you why. (laughs) Yeah, I think think the word diversity is so much. It's it's just become like a meaningless word. I think it's just something that we need to change and look at things of equity and justice until we can move forward. I think diversity is always diversity. It's another tick box exercise. It's another something that, yeah. I don't know, I just have quite something I think organizations say the right thing but they don't really talk what they work or what they want to do in so well, thanks. That, 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 I've never stopped during this game, Sullivan. Normally we rattle through, but you've... No, brilliant. I'm really, really pleased you did that. Um, the second word is disability. Uh, creativity. Nice. And then the final word is lockdown. So many words. Uh, the first word is restful. Restful. So, yeah, I think that's something... Having the ability just to slow down and actually look after myself and challenge... That what I what I want to do and how I want to do it, and this is really like reflect rather than constant hustling, just you know recharging and reflecting and realigning what I want to do and how I want to do it, and learning that it's okay to do so. Um, equally, I've never interjected on this wordplay game, but I'm going to uh, take lockdown and say opportunity because you've made me think a lot about what businesses could be doing to actually bring disabled people into the work that they do and how now is a more opportune time than, than maybe we've seen in our, in our lifetimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important. I think as well that lockdown is something that, you know, many disabled people were in lockdown before lockdown and are going to be in lockdown after lockdown because they're an inaccessible world, because they're ableism. And the sooner we can, you know, 
talk and open up to disabled people to understand, okay, how do you deal with like mental health in lockdown? How do you deal with working from home in lockdown? So disabled people have the creative resources, but we just have to be open to that kind of thing and stuff, yeah. Great. So, Suleiman, here we are on our Speak Easier podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you and speak to you again, actually. I should state we have met and spoken in the past. So, for the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit more about who you are and, and what it is that you do. Sure. Hi. Thank you so much for having me today. My name is Suleiman Khan and I'm the founder and chief purpose officer of This Ability Limited. And we are a disability-led equity business, and we exist to ignite, invest in, and amplify disabled creativity across the world for a just tomorrow. Okay. And so what what we wanted to talk to you about was creativity and disability, and explore the question of, I guess, can creativity be disabled? Tell us what you think. I think that's a fantastic question. I think, in my opinion, disabled people are the most creative people on earth because from a very young age we have to hack society, we have to adapt to the ableism and the inaccessibility of the world, and particularly in the work and in the workplace, you know, disabled people are twice as likely to be unemployed, more likely to live in poverty. So disabled people have to be creative, and that raw creative energy that disabled people have, I don't think anybody has that kind of ability to, to think laterally to solve problems in such a innovative and creative way. Uh, do you think businesses recognise that? Uh, honestly, no. I still don't think uh, businesses recognise that enough. And, you know, uh, supporting disabled people, and particularly disabled employers, enough, I think it's and disabled employees, I think a lot of it is still are quite caught up on things about what to say, what not to say. And a lot of organizations, particularly in the advertising industry, particularly in London, it's completely inaccessible. So prior to the pandemic, you know, a lot of agencies are like in a, a trendy attic or a trendy basement, but somebody like me as a wheelchair user, obviously it's not very accessible. And so again, and what I've always said is the creative industries, if you can't think of a way creatively for me to work you know, with you, then you're not very creative. And so, so it's just trying to get organizations, brands, and businesses to recognize that disabled people have so much value and so much you know, energy and creativity and you know, just ability to solve problems in a way that you might not necessarily think of. So, you know, disabled people, we are the world's largest minority and we are able, and yet time after time, businesses are not tapping into that consumer market as well as uh, those employees. So, Suleiman, I'm interested, I'm interested in two things. One is the trendy offices, but we'll talk about that separately. I wanted to ask you about hacking life. So you said that disabled people are hacking life and hacking is very trendy, right? Lots of people talk about how the hacking things are making them better. Yeah. Can you tell us about some examples of where you've had to hack life and, and what you've developed and come up with? Absolutely. It's a, it's a limitless uh, 
uh, answers to that. So one way, uh, so because of my condition, I have a, a disability called muscular dystrophy, which is a progressive muscle wasting condition. So as they get older, my muscles get basically waste away and things. And so for me to use a computer, I can only type using one hand and because my muscles are so weak, but because I can't straighten my hands properly, I basically found a way just to type with a pencil. So I type with one hand using a pencil. That's one way. Another example is that I was at a, a gig uh, a few years ago, several years ago, and the venue wasn't accessible. So because the music part venue was upstairs, and so I basically got my brother to carry me upstairs, that two flights of stairs, and I found a way around it, and yeah, to enjoy that kind of thing. And just even things like in the workplace, you know, finding a solution, often you have to disable people. Often, particularly if you have a physical disability, you end up going like to a goods lift because that's like literally the only entrance that you can get into. I could tell you so many funny stories about goods lifts, but what happens in the goods lift stays in the goods lift. Those kind of things, I think, what most people don't realize, a lot of organizations, their employees, are probably disabled because if you take into account things like mental health, if you take into account things like depression or things like you know dyslexia or neurodiversity, again that opens up the whole you know sphere of employees who may be disabled but might not be comfortable enough to talk to the organisations to say yes, I am disabled. Why do you think that businesses or people feel like they can't speak up in their companies about disability? I think there's two main reasons why people speak up, they can't, why employers in particular feel that they can't speak up about disability. And I think the main reason is because of ableism and so the negative portrayals of disabled people. And I think the second reason is because the word disability and disabled people have such a negative connotation. And so people, especially non-disabled people, often say, no, want to, don't even like the word disabled or disability. It's a differently abled, special needs. Just say the damn word. There's nothing wrong with it. And I think, uh, you know, until we can change that. And so it's a challenge because, like, disability is such a incredibly diverse, creative, and just a wonderful community to be a part of. And it's, and it's just really difficult when particularly employees don't recognize is it okay to, to use the word disabled? Absolutely, 100%. I think that, you know, even many disabled people, including myself, up until like two or three years ago, didn't really like the word disabled. That's because of things that like ableism and internalized ableism. But the older I get in understanding oppression that disabled people face on actually, there's nothing wrong with the word disabled or the word disability. A society that has a and the workplace that doesn't like it, and so, so and until we change that, I think nothing is going to change. And I think, as I've said many times, is that you know just treat disabled people as people, flawed, imperfect people, because like disabled people were not there to inspire the world into everything. Oh, you know, often when I in the workplace or anyway, just talking to clients or just anybody in general in life, 
often I get, oh, you're so inspirational, you're so brave. And literally, what am I doing? I'm just at a gig or in a meeting or just trying to get on and out, really. Okay, I'm, I'm not a neurosurgeon. I haven't cured cancer. I'm not doing anything in life in the next extraordinary. I'm just trying to do what anybody wants to do, just trying to work hard and, you know, get on with life. And I think until that changes, nothing is going to change, particularly in the workplace. And I think uh, disabled people, we can be complete assholes as well. And so I think until once you understand that or this people, then, you know, you know, it doesn't mean because we're an asshole because we're disabled. It means we're an asshole because we're an asshole. You know, disabled people could be sexist, racist, you know, ableist, everything, like anybody else. And so we, we have to understand and, and And in the workplace, I think it's important to recognize that, uh, you know, disability and disabled people are so valuable to, to employees. So disabled people, as I said, were the world's largest minority, you know, the funding power that disabled consumers have is huge market. It is very underserved and undertapped. And so, you know, often when organizations and businesses in the workplace is not accessible, you know, organizations and employers are missing out on a huge demographic and a huge population in the world and within the UK. I think two dynamics can come into play when someone sees uh, another person that's different to them in front. They either don't know what to say or they say too much. <laughs> and I think that, you know, it's about people trying to understand, you know, just to, to treat the person as they are. Two, two things that, that I um, saw that kind of confused me over the, over the, over the past few months well, one actually that confused me and, and one that compounded things. I remember seeing quite a lot of news about how disabled people had been excluded and marginalised during lockdown and coronavirus and, and people fearing for jobs. And it really struck me that shouldn't now be the time? Shouldn't this be the time where we go, actually, people are able to work from home? You know, people are able to work from anywhere. You don't need to get into that Soho loft. And then I think what compounded it was um, when George Floyd was killed and a lot of businesses and institutions moved towards, you know, how can we how can we make Black Lives Matter in the workplace? And, and perhaps that marginalised other groups somehow. What's your feeling around that? What's your experience been? Because it, it strikes me that, you know, we could be out there saying, right, now is the time to enable disabled people in the workplace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, absolutely right. I think... What the this whole pandemic has shown to me is actually when it affects the whole population, particularly non-disabled people, everything is possible. You can work from home, you can have live stream conferences, you can do everything. Yet for decades and decades and decades, when disabled people wanted and needed that facility, it was like, no, 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 it's not possible. You're not allowed to have it. And I'm like, really? And so, again, I think we have to change that. And I think particularly after the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think that's important to recognize the different oppression. So about 30 to 50% of all police brutality is that of black disabled people. Yet even people like George Floyd, Tamara Rice, you know, Leona Taylor, they were all disabled. And so that's something that most people don't even recognize and think. So I think 
as employers, we have to do the right thing and actually, not only the moral case, but the business case, and say, you know, accessibility and in, including disabled people is vital to, to business success. I don't think it's about even saying, oh, this group this week and then, you know, LGBTQ next week and then within the other week. I think you have to take more of a holistic approach because what if you're a black disabled woman? Where do you fit into everything? And so, you know, you can't separate one from the other, I think. You have to include everybody or don't include anybody. And So with that, because we always hear and, and talk about the word intersectionality and that's what you're talking about. Absolutely. Is... What I'm interested in about though is this like how how this all overlaps and the fact you said that disabled people are the biggest minority out there and with a brand or a marketer they might think about mass niches and big groups of people that they could tackle that they might or, or target that they haven't before. How would you advise or how have you advised brands and businesses to do that? Where do they start? A conversation, right? So I think that's the first thing. This- say hello to disabled people. As Ben said a few minutes ago, people are so afraid to say or do the wrong thing that they don't say or do anything. And that is my own personal experience in my own life. And I think, particularly in the UK, 43% of the British public don't personally know someone who's disabled. A massive 76% of people haven't invited a disabled person to, their, to a social event. And only 16% have invited somebody who's disabled into their home, and half the population in the UK hasn't even started a conversation with somebody who's disabled. So if you're not even going to say hello to somebody who's disabled, obviously you're going to have anxiety, you're going to you know, have a lot of fear and a lot of misconceptions about disabled people, and all you're going to see is what you see in the media, and the media is fundamentally flawed in their perceptions and the portrayals of disabled people, and I think it just all starts from a, from a conversation and not being afraid to get it wrong. So even myself, I'm not saying that I'm an expert in everything disability, but the good thing that I like to do, I like to ask as many questions. I'm always challenging myself, always learning, always unlearning and trying to engage. So Suleiman, what's the question? What's the question that people should ask? If they're too scared, give, let's give people a question that they can ask someone who is disabled that won't be offensive or, or, or wrong or, or you know, um, bad, badly put? Yeah, I think a really great question, which I learned, uh, you know, a few months ago at the event, was just, just say, just t- tell me what's your story, right? And I think that's often when we go into people for the first time, like, what do you do? Where do you work for? Who are you? Or how did you become disabled? It is a really insensitive question and so uh and yeah even though i tell people yeah i got hit by a wheelchair i don't know how that would work i'm in the wheelchair i got hit by a wheelchair quite funny but yeah so so then okay so what's your story i think my story is that i'm uh i've lived all over the world i've traveled all over the world i've uh, disabled entrepreneur i'm passionate about creativity and equity and yeah i just love people and stories and engaging in that kind of thing 
It's a, I think it's a brilliant question. It, it's one that I, I've kind of been trained to ask other people, and it's one that I find that most people find quite unnerving. Like, people seem to be very comfortable to answer the question, what do you do? But when you change it to who are you, they're very confused, and they don't know what to say. And I think it's possibly because a lot of people don't spend enough time interrogating that, and they become their identity becomes their job which is a really interesting place to be if you don't have one, for example. Like, you know, we interviewed someone recently and asked what they do. And she, uh, and, and she was like, you know, I like to go out on my bike. I go to the park. And it was just like, whoa, you know, we were taken aback because it was just a completely different response. But we got to who this person ra- was rather than their identity being completely tied up in work. And, um, and I think that people aren't necessarily ready for that. So I do think it's a great question. I think it's absolutely, I would completely agree, I think. Particularly for disabled people and disabled employers. Or, and my, in my own experience, as a disabled entrepreneur, there's practically no support you know, in terms of mentorship, in terms of financial support from anybody. And so that's a challenge. And I think when you're disabled, there's so much pressure to be productive, healthy and have earning potential. I think that's all tied up in the notion of capitalism. And I think we have to readdress how we see people and how we, you know, value people because disabled people, we don't have to be productive or we don't have to have earning potential or we don't have to be healthy to be worthy for society. Mm. And that whole concept of worthiness is fundamentally flawed in itself. So worthy for who and worthy for what? And so actually having inherent value, dignity, and respect, I think that's important to recognize, particularly for disabled people who are constantly seen as a burden to society, or you can't earn enough, or you don't earn, you earn too much, and they're in society as well. Like in 38 out of 50 states in America, disabled people are legally paid less than the minimum wage, and it's allowed to get away with that in the UK as well. Things, you know, as I said, you know, twice as likely to be unemployed, more likely to live in poverty. So that has a, a significant effect on your physical and mental well-being if you can't survive. And in the UK, life costs you £583 more on average each month if you're disabled. So just imagine you have to pay about nearly £600 a month on average just because you're Asian or because you're a woman or because it's something that's beyond your control. And disabled people get nowhere near that in, in terms of support or anything. And so and it's just like, and the, the portrayals of disabled people is either you, you're an elite Paralympian or you're a benefits lounge. There's nothing in between. There's nothing, there's no like, intersectionality, there's no complex layers of humanity that everybody else has and I think employers have a responsibility to actually change that and actually say actually we believe in you we invest in you we we want to change how you see yourself. I think many disabled people including myself might not have the portfolio or the necessary experience but we've got so much lived experience in terms of so many skills that are very valuable, like communication, such as, you know, organization. So all these things are creativity, obviously, which are highly important in today's market, yet many employers 
want you to have like 12 years experience before you even get your first job. And so, so that's a challenge for disabled people even to, to get their foot into the employment market. You, you talk about the fact that the media plays a role. And I remember seeing some adverts. I think it was Maltesers did an advert. Um, and, it, and it got massive acclaim, right? And I think a lot of advertisers and marketers are stuck on how to portray stories authentically because where do you go? Where do you start? And either you don't know someone or you haven't had the conversation, then you have had a conversation and then there's such a plethora of different people where you could base that story. What, what do you think is what do you think is the easiest win? If you were talking to someone right now who was holding the pen and drafting a campaign to change the way that disabled people are viewed across the world or in the UK, where where would you start? I would start with allowing disabled people to tell their own stories. Like, this is why we need disabled filmmakers, disabled writers, disabled commissioners, disabled producers, because it gives you that lived experience and that ability just for it to be, just, you know, not just highlight the disability, just the character happens to have a disability, the artist happens to have a disability. It's like, it's just there, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, look, you've got a disability, so we have to include you in this TV show. Or this. It, it, I think it's very important to just let disabled people tell their own stories, share their own narrative in a way, even if non-disabled people or society doesn't agree with it, but that's not your story. That's not your lived experience. And so I think it's important just to recognize that that brands and filmmakers and producers have a, and commissioners have a responsibility to make sure that everybody's story is told authentically in their own voice rather than telling people how, what to say or how to act. I think the power in the Maltesers advert was actually humor um, because I think it made people go, oh, wow, you know, it, it's okay to laugh at these things. It's okay to be part of this joke. How important is humour to you? And just before you answer that, I've got to say, I found you very funny. I found you very funny before we pressed record because, you know, I was kind of trying to connect, messing around a little bit, and I asked you to hold for a minute. And just for the listeners, you're currently horizontal, you have mus- uh, muscular dystrophy, and you, your reply to me was, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and it, it just made me chuckle straight away. How important is humour to you? For me, I've got like a very dark sense of humour. I think that's what kept it going in life. And I think you just have to laugh, I think. If you're so serious all the time, I don't have time for that nonsense. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. And so I think for me, it's something, you know, particularly, for example, in the old teaser, that was the first time that society said, oh, disabled people are quite funny. Like, yeah. Why did you not know this? Like, disability is hilarious. Like, the situations that I've gone into in the past, hilarious. And so it's just that kind of thing. Just, again, as I said earlier, just, Treating people like people, yeah. It's it's fascinating because we do this. Um, we do a thing called the workshop, which is um, like sessions where we we analyze and discuss creative as it's as it's live and bring in people with, like you say, lived experience to talk about how they might process it. And it's so insightful because it's the voices that people in their trendy London offices haven't had before and have actually said oh wow like I feel like I'm more in tune with society when I look at stats around empathy and 
uh, trust within marketers as an industry. Like there's very low empathy and trust as a group of people, partially because I think everyone believes that they're very left-leaning and therefore it's not very diverse because you haven't got lots of different views in it. And it just, it just makes me think of the power of when you bring together lots of different voices into one room. And I'm just wondering, Suleiman, in the work that you've done with disability, like how have you ever had like a place where there's been a really diverse group of people and what's come of that? What's been the best work that has come from the work that you're doing in that organization? I think it's, again, the issue of the car actually get into physically into building. So that's still an ongoing struggle. And I think uh, the issue I have is that still, even in this environment, people are still not opening up to the fact around flexible working or things using technology to its full advantage. So that's a challenge. I think what I've done, you know, a few months ago, I did a project with Getty Images, did like a photo shoot with them, which is quite cool. And then just working on a few other projects at the moment and things like that. But I think, again, it's one of those things that's still struggling to, you know, get business to, to recognize the power of disability and creativity and the kind of things that I want to do. And you know, I don't really necessarily want to be stuck in office I can't get into, you know, and so it's just a challenge in that sense where, again, using creativity, using, you know, my power of my network is actually very important, just trying to have those conversations and that sort of thing that I'm quite good at, it's just saying hello to people, chasing after them, and say, hey, let's just say that. <laughs> so, in... um you mentioned a bit earlier around intersectionality and I'm guessing, well, I, I, I'm guessing, but I also know from your name that you're from a South Asian background. Yeah. And so within the South Asian community, how is disability processed? I've got all my views on it, but I'd rather hear from you about what, what your experience has been like. I don't know if there's enough time in the day or the year, but I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet. So the South Asian community in particular, my own, personal experience around disability, it's very seen as, still in 2020, seen as a negative thing. It has to be hidden away and not seen. And so it's very, very strange. And so that, again, there's a lot of ableism. And in the South Asian communities, a lot of colorism and racism. And that adds to the whole thing around disability as well. And so, you know, disabled people are not seen as part of society. And I've never really felt part of the South Asian community in that sense. And even within the disabled community, there's a lot of racism and colorism in that as well that nobody's really addressing yet. And so I think it's just important to recognize that. But, you know, the older I get, you know, the more people I connect to that different disabled communities. So I actually, you know, I don't really necessarily need to be a part of a community who doesn't really want me or value me. And so I think for me, it's just really important just to, to acknowledge that and to not to disrespect it. I think my heritage is so important, community is so important, but actually if I don't need to be a part of a conversation that I'm not really invited into and things like that. So, yeah. One of the things that we hear or, you know, we hear through whispers is that organizations often say that um, they don't know where to find diverse talent or that that talent just isn't coming through like you know so if an organization saw the light and thought actually 
you know, I, I, I hear this, I hear this message that there is a lot of creativity, late, like natural creativity comes with disability. Where do I find people? Where do I find people that we could might, uh, might work with? I think we have to look internally, right? I think the issue is disabled people, right from the, the onset, you can't get into work. And just take my personal example, for, uh, for example, it took three years to get my first job. And not because I wasn't applying, just because nobody wanted to hire me. And so, so that was a challenge because, again, the recruiting process, particularly in, in advertising, for example, you need an art director, copywriter, partnership, and then you have to do like all these physical tasks, like create a video, do this, do this, and that. The actual recruiting and application process is hugely inaccessible. So immediately I wasn't able to apply to like internships or things like that because you might in advertising you normally have to do a week here, a month there, you know, two months here in different agencies before you actually get a permanent role. And so that in itself is fundamentally flawed because for somebody like me with a physical disability, I can't get the, the support or the funding to get that support because they don't really access to work, doesn't really allow that. And again, that limits my potential to actually get into the into the work environment and things. So, so do you think that businesses might think about accessibility being a ramp or a lift, but not actually thinking about all the processes that are inaccessible? Absolutely. I think that's a hugely important point. I think it's not just about a ramp into the building. It's actually the whole process, like things like, you know, recruiting, like recruitment for things like having, do you have a disabled toilet in the building or do I have to wait all day to get home before I can go to the bathroom or is or do, do you have accessible equipment, like, you know, digital equipment that is accessible? Do you have a desk and different accessible equipment? And do you have even like something like a note taker? Are you willing, is your company willing to talk to different organizations to get funding or somebody who could help me with like physical tasks that take notes or typing things that I need, things like that. There's so many things and even for different types of disability, how would your organization, you know, cope with somebody who's deaf or blind or has different access needs? What do you feel about that having, you know, an access dog or, you know, somebody, a guide dog or things like that? There's so many different opportunities but you just have, have to be open to like asking questions and not be worried about you know getting it wrong I think the more questions you ask the more ideas you can come up together I think it's just yeah so I get really excited talking about it. it's it's really um good hearing to hearing you because when we talk about all kinds of diversity I think we hear similar things which are people are too scared to have a conversation they don't know what they can and can't ask and then if anything, that, that, for want of a better word, paralyzes them because then they don't know what to, to say or do. And actually what you're saying in your experience is just have the conversation and ask people, what's your story? And come at it from a really human lens um, because, like you say, we all have value in society. And, and I think actually what lockdown and COVID has done is make people question their values a little bit uh, because we've all had to change where we work and what we do so Suleiman I'm going to ask you one um one final question and this is that point where you can plug things and say what you want um so if people wanted to find out a bit more about you and about the work that you do where should they go so you can check out my website disability.co 
www.thisaffinity.cl and then I'm on LinkedIn and everywhere. So you, can just, you can't get rid of me. <laughs> Thanks, Salman. Well, it's been brilliant chatting to you. Um, thank you for coming on to the Speak Easier. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Making diversity everyone's business. What did you learn from that, Ben? Well, I learned a lot about what businesses could could be doing to be uh, more inclusive when it comes to bringing um, disabled um, talent in or disabled, you know, the talents of disabled people. And um, but what I was really struck by was his humour, how he is essentially trying to represent other disabled people in breaking down those barriers. You know, that's the very essence of this podcast and the title of it, The Speak Easier, is about making it easier for people to deal with things and articulate things that they otherwise might not. And he did it from the first second that we met, you know, like when I, when I turned on the screen and saw him, he sort of made it his job to make me feel really comfortable which, which I thought was really interesting. I think that, you know, we see that a lot in, in the work that we do in people, you know, using their own lived experience to make other people feel comfortable. It's debatable whether that's what, the right thing or not. You know, should we have to do that? Should we have to deal with other people's biases so directly? But he certainly made the conversation very easy and approachable. Well, that's the thing. I, I think your question about should, should, the per- should someone have to help other people process their identity is really eye-opening and that's been a lot about this year if you see some of the activist commentary around Black Lives Matter it's like well why should it be my job to do that and the stats that he gave around the fact that people don't know disabled people they haven't had them in their home it made me think actually I live on the top in a top floor flat and if I were to invite someone around who had a physical disability how would they get into the flat and how would I navigate that it's never something I've stopped and thought about and I, I really appreciated his honesty in it. And it made me think when when clients or people say to us, well, actually, what what do we do around disabled people? What do we do about the other isms and the other obias? It's actually about a set of principles and a way of thinking about things. Because actually we hear time and time again, quite similar themes, which is I need to help the other understand me. So I have a set of tools that I use to do that. I am not represented, so this is what's got to happen. And ultimately, everyone says it, conversation. Have a, have a conversation about um, what's going on. And maybe, in a broader sense, that's the trouble with diversity right now, is we aren't able to have... Well, we are, because we do this podcast. But we aren't having conversations about difference and diversity enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps with lockdown and everyone working from home there's a real risk that people don't want to be talking or don't have an outlet to talk to people who are different anymore. Yeah, Uh, something that also really struck me was how um, he probably couldn't get away with being average. You know, I was like, he must be really good at what he does because... You know, to to for a business to make things really accessible for a note taker to be employed or utilised for for all of these um, things to be accommodated, I just thought, you know, how how many average people have you worked with in the past? Like, probably how many average white people have you worked with in the past? Ben, Ben, I don't want to, I don't want to. You're on the call. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's privilege, you know. This, this, we see privilege playing out all the time. But I was just thinking about how you know, how much effort you'd have to make 
to employ this person or to employ people like him and then all of the you know all of the processes that you'd have to go through because i think people think okay at the you know when we've found this person and they're in this role is the building accessible but what i found so interesting was about um the inaccessible processes that go through work stuff that i'd never really thought about in the interview process in away days in all of these different things you know we often talk about making christmas parties more um uh, inclusive by just not serving alcohol but that's not even the start of it is it well no and and that's when when we talk about inclusive by design it's i think people in their minds have a hierarchy of inclusion mm. of like levels of which they can include people and perhaps like lgbt is the first thing okay we've included lgbt people race is now the next one then disability age like there's all of these again the isms and i think actually if you step back and go it we need to come from a place of a set of principles or a higher order thinking of what we want society to be that's that's your choosing the biggest thing I t- i'm taking away from this conversation is value every person has value but how society and business places value is very different yeah I, something that was on my mind throughout was just how broad disability is as well you know i think people we see that you know we see things on walls sometimes that say not every disability is visible but there's so many different sorts of it and obviously you can be disabled black lgbt as well and it's like that these things aren't separated and i think that people need to begin to acknowledge that and um and just talk a lot more i think it that was the you know the the first thing he said was conversation that was the most important thing to start a conversation and i think that conversation has to include the people that you're talking about absolutely that all right ben well that's been another episode of the speak easier if you're not following us already then why not it's at underscore unmistakables uh, on twitter and instagram see you next time Speak Easier podcast by the Unmistakables.